All right, another episode from the streets of Shibuya. It's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. I'm Cliff. Chocolate Boone in the house. We're hanging out in this 99 Chevy van in the middle of Tokyo, also known as the Mobile Man Cave. The Mobile Man Cave. Weird effects and shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this. I think this cave has some powers, man. I think so, man. People come in here. You know, they feel real relaxed. Yeah. And, and we damn near got a preacher to cuss one time, but it didn't. <laughs> so, yeah, got so people somehow are very transparent when they come in here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, so our guest today is Mrs. Yan Fan. She's living in Tokyo, and she's co-founder of the school, Cold Crystallis, right? Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Cold yeah, Crystallis. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, give us a short introduction, Yan. Tell us who you are and what Cold Crystallis is about. Yeah, so, uh, right, uh, co-founder and CTO of a coding school in Tokyo. Um, and we're currently the only, um, like, advanced uh, software engineering boot camp in Japan and potentially Asia. Yeah, and so we're, we're most known for a three-month program um, to get people uh, to help them change their careers into software engineering or um, if you're a current software engineer to get a leg up in, in, in better opportunities. Um, so we started about a year and a half ago. Um, it's been it's been really cool and exciting, and and um, especially these past like three months have been really crazy. Uh, so this year is looking Good. really really bright. Nice. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been following you guys on social media. Um, definitely interested. Hopefully, I can uh, participate in the future. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, at first, I met you at the what is it the story night yeah hosted by startup lady japan Mm -hmm. shout out to startup lady japan yeah they're doing a great job here they are they are and yeah it was a very it was a very cool setting you know um after work and i heard several women tell their personal stories journeys and what they're doing and stuff like that and miss yan fan was there and that's how i learned about cold chrysalis so yeah pretty dope event yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah it's a pleasure to have pleased you. Pleased to have you, so, yeah. Very cool place. This yeah. looks like, I don't know, the opposite of Japan. <laughs> in a it way. is. It's kind of like, it a, it, it's very American in here. Exactly. In because little, like, <laughs> we are the opposite <laughs> that's, of that's Japan. A, yeah, that's a compliment, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but that's what we, you know, we try to provide this funky, creative, intimate-looking place inside the van, so... Yeah, everybody loves it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's credit to Buddha. That's uh, yeah. I, I love I love art and just slapping up some shit somewhere and just letting it hang and letting it exist and coexist and yeah. Are there pictures of the van up online? Do your do your listeners know what it looks like in here? I've posted pictures in the past, right? And I've taken them down, but I'm gonna put up some new ones. Yeah, I yeah, just wanted yeah. to take some new pictures and. Because yeah, we've thrown pictures. a lot of other stuff in here. And, yeah. And so, yeah. So thanks for the reminder. Yeah, 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 that's good. Put up some pics. Matter of fact, on my Chocolate Buddha Instagram, I have a pic of the inside of the van. So Yeah, so we're going to get back into Cold Chrysalis. I wanted to talk about a little bit about your journey um, here to J- Japan before that. Um, so you're from Seattle originally? Yeah, I grew up in Seattle. Uh, school on the East Coast and then... Started working in finance right after university, just because that's what everyone told me I should do. And that's where the money is, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had student loans I needed to pay off, so went into finance. Was it um, was it pretty steep the student loans? Um, it was okay. It okay. wasn't terrible. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard way worse. So yeah, I, was, I knew that mine were manageable. Okay. Yeah. Like after a few years, I'd probably be able to pay them off. I had easily. a friend. She went to nursing school and all this type of stuff and so we were just talking one day and she's like yeah you know sixty seventy thousand dollars i gotta pay i was like whoa as a matter of fact obama was president when he finally paid his off so damn (laughs) is that a fact or you just yeah no no it's a fact i heard him i heard him say it yeah while he was president i can't remember which term but he said yeah he he just recently he had recently paid his off so yeah 
Okay, so there's a few things about that. Uh Um, One, uh, so I was really lucky because I grew up pretty poor. And um, if you go to an elite university or any like well-endowed university and you make below a certain amount or your parents make below a certain amount, they give you a full ride. So that's what I got. And so the loans that I, the, the student loans that I had to take out were kind of just supplementary like, um, you know, paying for, uh, you know, like a study abroad um, and things like that. So just extra money so I wouldn't feel too poor in university. Mm. Um, and then also, uh, here's a little thing. Um, I actually paid off my student loans much slower than I could have. And the reason being is that it's really great for your credit score. Oh. Yes. So yes. you just keep a little bit of that student loan, like a few thousand dollars, and you make sure that there's payments going to it every month. It's automated, you know, a few bucks a month. And it's really great for your credit score. And the student loan interest rates are typically quite low. And so you're not really, you know, spending very much. You're not paying too much extra so so that could be a reason why Oklahoma oh. is around nice. so when I'm always like you know I said to yeah that's great advice think about okay. other things but for people who do have student loans and, and are considering paying it off ASAP and they're in the US I suggest keeping it around if you have like a, a low interest rate oh. like three or four percent um, great, great yeah. for a credit score. Yeah, yes. yeah, great advice. Yeah, definitely great advice. So, when so it's sort of like the same with them dudes that take their nice black credit cards and pay for a Coke or some shit. Well, you get points. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. okay. You get points. So, See, it's best to know. continue paying with your credit card. As long as you're paying them off on time, you're good. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you're not like collecting on interest. Okay. So uh, where did you go to school? You said you said you went, went to East Coast. Yeah, I went to Dartmouth College. Oh yeah, I've heard of Dartmouth. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm wearing the, the yeah, I know you're wearing it. Right okay. now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hiding it though. He's like, supposed yeah, to you're supposed to represent. Dartmouth. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. um, what I I think I almost uh, exclusively applied to universities on the on the East Coast. Um, Wanted to change the scenery. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then I realized the West Coast is absolutely better. Um, but, uh, Especially so the true. weather and shit. yeah, yeah, the weather and the people—it's just a lot more laid back. So. Uh. Uh, so yeah, I went into finance and spent—I uh, was in like a rotational program, so I got sent all over. So I was first in the Midwest, which isn't very glamorous. Um, but then I was in Geneva for like a split second, and then they put me in Singapore, which was great. Nice. Um, but the only thing I really liked about my job was the travel. Uh, everything else was, was really boring and, um, having, you know, was having like a bit of an existential crisis, you know, is this what it's going to be for the rest of my life? (laughs) Uh, so, um, I started, uh, I mean, I guess like during the time that I was working in finance and even before I always had wanted to start a company, um, and I didn't really know what company. So I was just always brainstorming, going to hackathons, um, talking, et cetera, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then all of my ideas that I had were like tech related, uh, mostly like, you know, I needed to create an app to be able to do something to like make something more efficient. And I, I had no experience in, in tech. I didn't know what it, what it took to create like an app, for instance, so I thought, oh, I'll learn how to code. Um, maybe that'll give me some insight. If I learn a little bit, maybe I'll be able to, you know, learn something and put together a little something, make money and quit my job. So I uh, started coding and um, it got uh, steadily, I got a little bit more advanced. I realized that I really liked it. It was interesting. It was um, much more interesting than, than finance. And, uh, In what I, way, though? Like... Um, I guess you're, you're actually building something, you know, so you're like building something from nothing, which is really cool. And, um, it was something that was so relevant to our everyday lives. Right. Um, so it, it, I was learning so much more about like the world around me and the world that I was living in. Um, and I felt like I, I actually had the power to maybe add something to it. And that was really exciting. That's the really cool thing about, you know, software engineering, Um, and I, I think I'm just, I love hosting and I love having events and stuff. Like I love, 
Um, I think like if in another life, I would have been like a chef of, or like owned a restaurant or something. Okay. And being a software engineer, it's kind of a similar feeling because it's like you make something and it's really exciting seeing people use it. Yes. Um, so, so I really loved that. Um, and it was just another outlet for creativity. Um, so I found out about all these programs in the U.S. Um, uh, that were like these for-profit companies uh, or for-profit schools, actually, um, that uh, didn't promise, but they had really strong results. Like they were actually taking people who came from nothing and then they would turn them into software engineers. And this was in the really early days of what would become coding boot camps. Okay. Um, so this is around like 20, 2013, 2014. They were super new. I was really concerned that they were like, like ITT tech and, and like similar, like, I don't know, kind of shark schools that kind of just take your money. Yes. And like right, don't, right, yes. you know, spit I you out. I almost got trapped into one of those. It wasn't yeah. tech, but it was like a film school. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. Um, so I was really worried about that, but um, I did some more digging, some more research, stalked a lot of their alums, and eventually decided there were like a few that, that I had, like uh, four that I had kind of picked out as being the top ones in the U.S., and I ended up going to the one that was in San Francisco. So I did a boot camp there, uh, graduated, and then started working as a software engineer. So... Um, that kind of transition, I quit my job in like, maybe like August of 2014 and then found a job like the next year, um, started working in May. Uh, so it was about nine months nice. uh, of like a full transition. Okay. Um, so, so I was really lucky to be able to do that. I'd saved up some money to be able to pay for the tuition for the coding school because they're not cheap. It's like $20,000. Um, and then also to support myself in San Francisco for, you know, the four months, four or five months that I was unemployed. Um, and then also like plane tickets. Cause I was, I had moved, I had to move from Singapore back to the U S so that was, that was an expensive trip. So speaking of Singapore, we'll get back to the coding. You said you love traveling. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Right. How many places or approximately how many countries have you been to? Oh, I don't know how many countries. It's not a not a ton. Not a ton. Oh. But um, I've I've gone back to like the same country over and over again. Um, I think I've been to like. What I are some know, of your favorites? Countries. Let's see. Oh, Thailand is really great, um, especially if you like leave the kind of more regular touristy areas, and the food is amazing. Yeah, I've heard so um, much about. Yeah. Yeah, food Thailand. is. Uh, the Thai food in, in Japan is, is just sad. <laughs> uh, it makes me cry. Unless it was cooked by a Thai person. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I that's true. I, I haven't come across seen it. one. Um, it's mm. just been, uh, so far, like the best one that I've come across has been um, these two Japanese guys that also love Thailand and, and went back and kind of really learned the, the stuff. But uh, a big problem is like the ingredients. Yeah. are really difficult to get here. Uh, certain ingredients that are used in Thai cuisine are just prohibitively expensive here. So mm. I think that's why. I think you just have to pay, like, pay more to get real Thai food here. Um, right. So Vietnam is also great. Uh, food is great. Oh, my God, the food. Awesome. Vietnamese food is great. I actually made some Vietnamese food this morning because Viet some. food in Japan. I'm sorry. Because Viet, oh, Viet, Viet food in Japan in, sucks. Right? Yeah. Just like it's Thai not food great. Sucks. There's one place that I go to okay. in, in Japan, for in Tokyo, for Vietnamese food. Um, I love Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is great. Um, Just Burma. to throw a little advice at you, though, mm -hmm. maybe you should go to the small little mom and pop shops. They're actually owned by. Oh, you do. And I they do. Sell, and they're not that good. Um, well, I haven't found any that like small mom pop shops for like Thai food. I have found one for Vietnamese food, um, Pho Dragon in in Rapongi. For those who are interested, um, the the person who runs it. Uh, I call her like the dragon lady. I don't know what her actual name is, uh, but she is a riot, and she is like s like a stone cold bitch until like <laughs> you've gone to the restaurant a few times, and then she starts warming up to you, and wow. she's just a hilarious person. Um, yeah, I love Southeast Asia. So I've been kind of almost to all the countries there. Um, and then uh, I, I studied Arabic in university, actually. And so uh, another 
country that I really love is Morocco. Several years ago, I was like in a bar in New York, uh-huh. New York City, and um, Great I was like city, sitting by at the way. bar with a friend. And uh, next to me, it was like a clubby bar. And then next to us, these like four guys uh, sat next to us. And, and, and I, we could tell from their accents. I was with another like Arabic speaking friend of mine. And we could tell from the accents that they were from like Saudi Arabia. And of course, like a super religious country, right? And they were like ordering, <laughs> they were ordering alcohol. So I turned to them and I and I said like astaghfirullah, which means like go seek forgiveness in God. And it's kind of like wow, one of those things that people say jokingly, but okay. coming from like an Asian girl yeah. in the middle of New York it City, it just threw him. He's like, oh, these guys just like freaked the fuck out. Yeah, their eyes about to pop little, out of their head, right? Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> he was probably talking some bullshit around you about you and stuff. And then they, oh man, nah, they they actually weren't they weren't saying anything they were just too so, bad. They were so just so surprised, right? They were just talking like regular things, and then you know ordering their drinks, and yeah. and uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. You um, know, I, I think that's just you know, it's I think it's natural that when you see somebody of a different ethnicity speaking a language, different language, it just kind of throws you off a little bit, right? Yeah, when I used to work for Bose, my boss, uh, he's Chinese American. And he said that he was in China and he's, you know, he's, you know, he says, you know, he speaks Chinese and everything. And he said that he's hearing this Chinese come from this guy. And he said he turned around and saw this African dude speaking Chinese. Oh, he's, dude, there's a lot of black people who speak real great Chinese. Whoa. Oh, okay. It's, it doesn't even shock me anymore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, well, are these guys in because I hear such states? a complicated a language. Of, yeah, well, no, no, no. They're in China. Oh, they're in China because okay. the Chinese government has been giving out scholarships, and basically they're like, you know, getting some of the best talent out of Africa and providing these scholarships to study in in university in China. So you get a lot of Africans who like speak really great Chinese now. Um, especially in like you know Shanghai, Beijing. Okay. Yeah, I don't even like that now. I'm just like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they'd like be throwing some of them pickup lines at you. Or something? <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, do yeah. you speak with Mandarin or Cantonese? I speak Mandarin. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, my accent's pretty decent, so I also land myself in in like weird situations because I I didn't grow up there, so I don't know. So I have like a pretty good accent. So when you listen to me you might not think that i'm from a, like i grew up overseas gotcha. um but uh, if you speak to me some more i i don't know a lot of things <laughs> like i i don't know a lot of slang okay um i don't know like what's hot right now you uh. know? um so yeah it's 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 interesting being in china and uh you but know, your parents they spoke my yeah, my my they parents speak. spoke to me okay. in Chinese. Oh, they did. Okay. And uh, I also went to Chinese school growing up. Okay. Um. So my accent's been pretty good, and I I can read and write. Okay. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So how is that? Is that a little bit easier for you here in Japan? Can you like understand um, the kanji? A little bit. A little so bit. I can understand. Uh, I guess like the more the hairier the situation, the easier I have, because like for instance, if you go into a hospital, all the signs are in Chinese, like the kanji, right? All yes. The science, the scientific words, they're all in Chinese, gotcha. so I know you know where to go in like a hospital. Yeah. Um, or uh, for instance, um, like emergency alerts that we get on our phones. Yes. They typically have more kanji, so I can kind of tell what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's been good for that. Um, but otherwise, man, Japanese is such a weird language. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And you got um, the katakana and the hadakana. I hate the katakana. Yes. Yeah. Katakana for me is like I don't know kanji 2.0. You it know? is. No, I it's I, like I kind of get that because yeah. it's like you're used. To, they're basically foreign words, right? And in a lot of cases, you know, they might use an English word. And you're used to hearing English English. So when they try to use the katakana, it's just like, it doesn't register sometimes with me. And it's like, yeah. I have to repeat it to myself a few times. Like, ah, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. But if you say a Japanese word, I, I get it right away. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird. I mean, katakana. A friend of mine recently told me he's a venture capitalist, and he said that the word for venture capitalist is capital p- 
capitalisto, like capitalist. Oh, just, wow. Just oh. capitalist. Wow, yeah, that's... No venture. So when he introduces himself, he's like, I am a capitalist. capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to to the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Your experiences in Tokyo... I know you're a busy person and everything, but the social life, I mean, compared to other places, um, uh, how do you feel the safety? You know, throw that out there a little. Oh, safety? Oh, it's so safe. Um, I The expat community here is pretty, I, I know it's big because this is a 30 million person city. Yeah. So any percentage of that for expats is pretty pretty large, but it feels very cohesive my my boyfriend puts it in a really good way people move to tokyo because they want to be in tokyo first and foremost uh and then they you know then they add to the city getting a job etc whereas you know other cities like singapore for instance Mm -hmm. i really felt this people get moved to singapore by their by their companies so it tokyo feels definitely like people have invested in it more that it wasn't like a shell of a city that was built out waiting for people to inhabit it. And I really appreciate that. Um, I appreciate that people like being here and, um, you know, want to make sure that it's a good experience for everyone, or at least I hope. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's also a really diverse city. And I love how there's so many. It's it's so. F- do you get FOMO here? I get FOMO so often here. Yeah, you know, because uh, there's so much going on. It's, yes, it's difficult to keep track. Yes. and go to all this stuff. But you know, to your point, and I agree with you that I think that's the one thing I do like about Japan, or, or more specifically this area, is the, the international community, the expat community, because I go to a lot of events, and you know. I like to meet people and then, you know, bring them on a podcast like I met you. So, yeah, it's so creative. It's so much going on, like you said. Um, I try to keep up with events as much as I can. You know, sometimes it's like three or four going on one day or four or five in one week. And I'm just like, all right, I got to pick which one I can go yeah. to this week or which one is, fits my schedule best. Or, yeah. And so. Yeah. I I definitely think... Um, it's much easier finding a community here. It is. Whereas when I was living in Singapore, uh, I mean, I felt like all of my friends were just like, let's go out drinking and clubbing friends. Okay. And, you know, on like a Sunday morning, I was like, oh, I want to go to a museum. No one would go with me. <laughs> oh. I felt so alone. Um, no one wanted to like, you know, go to the park and just hang out. And people just wanted to just, you know, spend a ton of money Going to a club and getting a bottle, and then recovering the next day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it just it wasn't a great lifestyle. Um, but it's I, clean there, though, right? It's yeah. I mean, Singapore is really clean. I think it's actually cleaner than Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, Singapore is fantastic. the The food is phenomenal. The food is phenomenal. Okay. Back to food. Uh, I also like how Tokyo is affordable. So there's so much art because artists can actually afford to live here. And, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to have that around. Yes. Um, so I appreciate how there is affordable housing uh, everywhere. That's definitely not something that, you know, I had in San Francisco when I was living there, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was lucky because I was in the tech, you know, the tech circles, but... It, you know, you definitely see artists getting and and artists, but also just like regular members of the community getting priced out. Um, and I think that's that's really important. It can't just be all like you know wealthy tech techies in an area. It just feels so much more sterile when that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going back to the coding and the programming, you, you spoke about the tech circle and community uh, community and. San Francisco. Is that where a lot of people like just seem to end up when they're trying to really get into the coding and programming in, in the states? Yeah, I mean it is Mecca, right? It's the Mecca, right? Yeah, it's Mecca. So everyone wants to be in Mecca, and and you know, really, when I was starting out as a software engineer, that was a great place to be. Um, being in San Francisco, I felt like I learned so much 
way more than and 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 with less effort too because everyone is speaking the same language and everyone is trying to always be up to date always stay competitive always stay sharp and so you just kind of learn by osmosis you know I go to an event I hear someone talking telling me about their opinion of this and that and I maybe I'm able to like you know when I when I come across it or when I'm talking to someone else, I have something to say. So it sounds smart, um, mm. but it's just, and, and you have access to so many experts there. Yes, I, uh, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's great for that. Um, but, uh, there are a lot of downsides to being in San Francisco. And I think ultimately that made it, that made me think of San Francisco as simply a stage and not, uh, like a platform, if you know what I mean. Yes. Like it was just like a little stepping stone yes. in my life and not somewhere that I can see myself staying sane in long term. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. All right. So take us through this journey of you, yours to come to Tokyo and start a coding school. Yeah. So this is actually my second coding school. Oh, it's your second. Yeah. Okay. I started one. I was part of the founding team of one. So it wasn't just me. A few years ago mm-hmm. uh, in the Middle East and I was helping them out remotely. So I never actually went. And I did that for a few months and left the project because of a very wide difference in opinion. Uh, of of what the goal was, what the mission was, and and how we were to achieve that, um, and so I was kind of looking for other things to do. I was still working as a software engineer, and also this is a really big one. My boyfriend lives here, um, and lived here, and so we were long distance. And um, you know, I w- really wanted to be back in Asia. I I'm a I'm a city girl, so okay. it had to be in a large city. Mm. Um, it had to be you know Singapore or Shanghai, or you know Taipei, or Tokyo. Seoul felt a little small for me, so okay. <laughs> it was it wasn't like on my list. So I was thinking like massive cities, right? Bangkok, things like that. Um, and so of course, because my boyfriend was in Tokyo, I was also mostly looking at opportunities in Tokyo and, um, I wasn't able to find, um, and this was like several years, this was like what, three, I had been looking for like three or since three or four years ago and three or four years ago, uh, there wasn't as much as there is now in terms of startups and tech opportunities and things like that. And I didn't want to go from being a software engineer in the Valley to like doing some crappy coding job here. Mm. Um, and I also really wanted to really wanted to uh, try to do my own thing, right? Because that was like my ultimate goal of why I became a software engineer. And so I was looking for different opportunities. Uh, Coding school was definitely on my radar, but um, just like how I didn't see very many interesting jobs, I also didn't see a need for a coding school here. Um, and it, and I had a few other, like, uh, I had a few other ideas. One of them was bubble tea. Uh, <laughs> yes, that was see. maybe not the most like, you know, maybe not like the most um, innovative idea that I had, but it was like a fun, fun one. I wanted to do bubble tea because like four or five years ago, there were no bubble tea places in Tokyo. I, they're everywhere now. Um, and I see them a lot and they're really popular. But four or five years ago, there were none. And I was like, oh, that's something that would be really popular here. But anyhow, that was just one of my ideas. So uh, I got put in touch with uh, my co-founder, Connie. And uh, he had the idea for the coding school, and um, he he really convinced me that this was uh, this was uh, you know like a viable option. Um, I realized that you know all the stuff that I was seeing online that was informing me about tech jobs and things here, they were just on the surface, and there were actually a lot of opportunities here that were starting to pop up. Um, that were actually really great jobs as a software engineer that paid well. Um, There were a lot more tech startups uh, popping up. There were a lot more um, like global companies that were moving into Tokyo that needed to hire software engineers. And, uh, you know, we saw this gap uh, between local talent um, and also like this untapped talent pool, this like potential here. Um, who were in 
lower paying jobs or um, jobs that weren't challenging or just jobs that they didn't really care for or like. And um, this like opportunity and and these companies that were struggling to find the right talent. And so we thought, well, with a little bit of re, you know, retraining, we could take the people who um, hate their lives or hate their <laughs> jobs and yeah. um, have this really great potential and we can train them into getting these great jobs. Um, so, so that's how we got started. Really. That was, that was the catalyst. Nice. Um, and, and it's been, it's been pretty good so far. Yeah. I can't complain. Where, where is, uh, Japan compared to the rest of the world as far as programming? And oh, it's hard to say because like Silicon Valley is just like leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else okay. just because of like sheer numbers, right? Like everyone goes there and it's just ultra competitive um japan's i i would say a, a little i don't know i don't know how to how to put this like japan's weird <laughs> you know it's like a that's paradox. perfect japan like, is weird in a lot of different yeah ways, there are some ways in which japan is so advanced you know yes. and then and then you see them use like fax machines. Ex- exactly. Shout out to fax machines. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You still see VHS tapes in some yeah, places too. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Um, so it's hard to say. I think in terms of software, Japan is definitely behind, um, especially when you compare it to Korea and China, especially China. China's just in another world right now for Asia. So yeah, Japan's definitely behind. Uh, Japan's been. Uh, hardware focused so their entire like economy and education system is focused on creating great hardware and not great software so they just don't have the talent here uh when you know you're going to university and deciding what to do talented students don't choose computer science and that's like the opposite from from uh the u.s right now the all everyone wants to take a CS class in yes. university. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of crazy. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what Japan really struggles with. And you know, like the it's it's a systemic issue because the universities are super behind. The universities, you know, are full of professors who only know theory and who never actually built an application. Gotcha. Um, and who are you know focused on like much older technologies and and whatnot. So. Uh, it's a systemic problem in Japan. I think they can absolutely get over it. I mean, they have the money, um, they have the enthusiasm, I think, and the motivation. Um, and so it's it's just uh, it's just a matter of time, I think. And it's a great yeah. opportunity for you, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, we actually just uh, signed a deal, a little deal with uh, Mary Curry, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so oh, we God. have a we're we're training a few of their engineers nice. shortly, and yeah, and I and I think we're gonna increase that for for other companies too that are also hitting us up, um, because they're realizing that you know we get all this great talent from universities, not just in Japan, but from all over. And universities don't train software engineers. They train computer scientists. Uh-huh. Um, and to be a, an effective software engineer, there's like a whole other set of skills that you need to learn. And where are they going to learn it if they're not going to learn it in university, right? Yeah. Um, so we really try to kind of bridge that gap um, for, for companies that, that, that uh, are facing this issue. Oh, okay. Now, what... Uh, what type of different type of programs are you offering at Cold Crystal? So right now for consumers, so they're just like for regular regular people and not for companies, um, we have three programs. Uh, two of them are, are programming related and one of them is actually an English class. Um, so we have uh, a part-time uh, five-week intro to programming class called Foundations. Uh, we have a 12-week full-time um, software engineering course, uh, and which doesn't take beginners. Um, and then we have an English class. It's an English communication class. Um, we didn't think that we would start an English class in Tokyo, right? Cause there's so many English schools here. Um, we didn't think it was necessary. And then we realized that there were a lot of people wanting to take our programs who, uh, maybe had the technical skill level, but didn't have, um, the English skills to do it. And initially we were looking around at English schools, hoping that we could find, find one that we jived with that we could refer people to. But eventually it became really clear to us that, 
um, a lot of the English schools focus on the wrong things. Like they focus on, um, what was it, TOEIC, right? Yes. Like the, the yeah. English test or, or this like nebulous English, business English yeah. subject, right? Which I don't understand. <laughs> um, and, uh, and what happens is, is people go to these classes and they memorize grammar and they memorize vocabulary and then they never use it. Yep. Um, so I think Japanese people in their heads, like way buried deep in their brains, they have a really large vocabulary and they have pretty decent grammar. But the problem is like actually using, using that. It, yes. Yeah, it's a totally different like brain wave, right? Yeah. A totally different muscle. And, and that needs to be trained as well. So that's what we really focus on, um, along with also just like intercultural communication type things, like how to give and receive feedback, um, how to uh, be more uh, like active um, in your communication and be more assertive about what you think think about questions, et cetera, um, and also building confidence. Yeah. And kind of getting over that roadblock of like, oh, I sound stupid or, oh, yeah, that yeah, grammar yeah. was bad. And, oh, I need like five seconds to come up with the absolutely correct or absolute correct grammar for the sentence yes. that I want to say. Right. Um, so we, we kind of tackle those issues in our, in our in our English class. Yeah, that's good. Because I mean, because, you know, you're in Tokyo I don't know how many students are Japanese, but I would think at least half, maybe? Um, almost half. Almost half? Okay, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the big, I think, uh, uh, barriers to Japan being a global power is lack of, lack of English. And it's the reason why, um, in many, many ways, like China and Vietnam are kicking Japan's ass right now. Um, somehow, China, even though it has like a similar education system they're 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 quite they're they're much better at communicating in English and then Vietnam well the way that I kind of look at Vietnam is like no one translates stuff into Vietnamese right there's not like a giant translation market like here um like in Japan so if you're a Vietnamese student like you gotta learn English right because every like the world is going to be in English um so I think that's that's why like we're seeing really talented software engineers coming out of Vietnam and these are these these are software engineers who speak who speak English um, so it's really giving Japan a run for its money. Now you said, you said China, the system is pretty similar there. English, like the education education system. system yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering what's the difference there? Why are they? I think more I don't know. I think it's. I mean, I'm Chinese. I mm-hmm. but I I grew up in the U.S. But I in my impression, I think Chinese people are just a lot more um, bold and okay. aggressive. And, you know, it's probably because we're a little less removed from, you know, 20, 30 years ago where it was just like poverty. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you've really got to hustle when you're in poverty. Yes. And I don't think that mentality has fully left China yet. It's still uh, an ultra competitive country. Um, and Very, I think yeah. that breeds a lot of pushy people who, you know, are just like, I don't care if my grammar's not 100% <laughs> perfect. This needs to get said, right? But that, <laughs> no, but that's a, to me, that's a great mentality to have because I had a friend, you know, back when I was in New York and I had never been to Japan, but I had a friend, he was so much into Japanese. Like he was just like so hardcore and, you know, he, he visit a few times but he never lived in japan but he was never shy about speaking japanese like he was just like that same mentality you said just bold and aggressive and he didn't care about messing up and i definitely understand that mindset come on john you gotta you gotta tell us the truth it's because china is tired of hearing everybody saying u.s is number one and they want to whoop that ass (laughs) (laughs) is that part of it uh, I don't know. Well, I she said know. they're competitive, so they're yeah, I know really they're competitive, competitive. But you know, yeah. you know, come on, man. He's tired yeah. of hearing everybody say U.S. no more because because they're aggressive in in uh, investing in you know like. All right, I'm a deer in the headlights when it comes to business and all this, that, and the other. But I, you know, I do watch the business news sometimes, and it's interesting. But they, they, you know, they're like ultra aggressively pursuing Africa. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, you know, and that used to be the U.S.'s stomping ground. And for some reason, China is just is just a. I, I think they just see something there that the U.S. doesn't 
I mean, you know, I think that's part of their 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 drive now, you know. I you can know. say it here. I can't really speak for like a regular Chinese person because mm. I'm not. You yeah. know? I, I've never I've never lived in China. like until the age of three at, at least. Um, but I've never really spent time in China except as like a tourist, right? Or like visiting. You family. never overheard him say, Come on, we're gonna kick America's tired I of do, but tired like, to hear him say Number one, number one. No, I do, but it's more like on internet forums, right? <laughs> and see, like I knew it existed never, somewhere. There yeah. you go. Yeah, but you can never like you know like I don't see YouTube comments as being uh, a re- like I don't see it as like reflecting yes. what America actually was, for instance. And I think it's the same thing for like yeah, all internet YouTube comments. Is, <laughs> sometimes yeah. I try to avoid YouTube comments. Yeah, yeah. YouTube are like, oh, Yahoo News. Like the <laughs> comment section oh, for Yahoo God. News yeah. is just horrendous. And it's hilarious at the same time. Right, but yeah. Right. Um, so I don't take those as seriously. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, from what I've been told, Japan used to also be like that, like maybe well, yeah, one back or two in the generations 90s. ago. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, it's, it's just like a life cycle, you know, ebb and flow, depending on how that, how a particular generation yeah, was raised. Yeah, yeah they were buying true. up Pebble Beach and Rockefeller Center and all this, that, yeah, and, yeah you know. It used but, to be super aggressive, too. Now, now let's say for a, a, a person that's listening, and let's say they were interested in coding, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I'm a deer in the headlights with this. I could talk to you all day about football, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but... After graduating from your school, what's the, let's say, percentage of people that find work like? So, yeah, right now, um, really proud to say that so far 100% of our students who indicated that they wanted to look for a job in Japan immediately Mm -hmm. get a job within three months of graduation. About three months. Yeah. That's uh, that's graduation from the 12 week. Yeah, yeah. Graduation from the 12 week. And no one's ruined that for us yet. Um, Whoa. (laughs) um, Yeah, we hope it stays like that for as long as possible. Um, So the thing is, like, it's really easy in Japan to get a crappy dev job that pays really low and stuff. So, uh, what we really try to encourage our students to do and, and what we um, push them to do and train them to do is uh, get the dev jobs here that uh, are, you know, that pay better, that have a better work-life balance, are at companies that value software engineers yes. and understand their power and know how to harness that power. Oh, that's awesome because – so I guess you're teaching more than just, okay – Here's your education. Go out there and good luck. You're, you're oh, teaching yeah, them we, how to be more assertive, more aggressive. Exactly. To, to get the best, like, you're really worth more than yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the awesome. Second har- the second half of our program, I mean, uh, most of it, the students are focusing on projects and, and their portfolio, but we do a lot. Um, everything from public speaking to create, like how to introduce yourself and how to make an impact in a conversation. Mm. Um, resume, cover letter writing. We help with salary negotiation. Mm. Um, we uh, help with, you know, uh, when we teach how to interview, how to do a technical and a non-technical interview. Um, all these things we cover. Because um, it's really, they're also really important, right? And as you know, for any job, interviewing is totally different from the job itself, right? Yes. It's a completely different yeah, so skill set. Thing, different thing, yeah. um, so we're hoping that learning these skills, it'll serve them well in the future, no matter what kind of job they're looking for. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and we, you know, we keep track of them even after they, they leave. Um, after graduation, every week uh, we have a meeting with all of the students. That's It's mandatory for everyone looking for a job where we come together and we um, basically go around in a circle and talk about, you know, what did you do this week? You know, did you apply to places? How did those interviews go? Um, what have you learned? Uh, and do you need help? Um, what, you know, like mock interviews, things like that. So we do all of that. Um, and then we also... Um, keep track of them, you know, after they graduate by like over email and whatnot, um, helping them write responses um, to, you know, potential employers. Um, we give them uh, tips and we train them on salary negotiation. Uh, we have a pretty good view of the market 
right? Because a lot of companies come to us asking to hire our students. And then also we can see, you know, what, where students are going and how much they're getting. Mm. So we're able to give advice like, oh, this company can offer you a bit more. Um, or, great, yeah. or, you know, that company, the offer that they gave you was their best and you probably won't be able to, to get anything else from that. Or like, you know, we think you can get like an extra million here and here's how you should, uh, broach that topic with them. Yes. Um, and we'll, you know, do a little back and forth to, to help them practice, um, wow. all of it. We're, we're very hands on. Wow. <laughs> so, so would you, would yeah. you say that, so what is the difference between? with your coding school and say a coding school in in san francisco would you say that's the difference like you you guys seem to go the extra mile and your students come out more well-rounded yeah we really want to create flexible software engineers right um tech moves so fast yes and so you can't um just you know, rely on your knowledge of a particular technology to continue having work. Mm. Um, you need to be able to, you know, identify what's what's hot, um, and if it's important, because hot and important are different um, things in tech. And you know, how can you, you know, be able to like pick it up and learn it? Uh, because when you're a software engineer, you're not just like a Python engineer, or Ruby engineer, or a Java engineer. You're a software engineer. And your job is to uh, be able to use the right tool to get the job done, whether it's a particular language or a particular technology. And um, that's a skill as well, Um, that, you know, uh, that flexibility and that that autonomy. Um, So that's what uh, we train for in our graduates. Um, So we, we have a lot of different exercises that, you know, really help them develop that. Um, kind of not MacGyver, but kind of that like hustle gotcha. and MacGyver hustle, MacGyver hacker hustle. Nice. <laughs> yeah, be able to think on the fly and but but you know th- this is awesome because so in other words, of course I know y'all ain't cheap. So in other words, it's well worth their investment. So yeah, yeah. I mean our our average salary right now for junior engineers is like 6.5 million yen per year and um you know on the street that's usually three to four million per year without us Uh, so i think it goes to show how how companies value our graduates um that they're able that and they're willing to pay the extra amount because they recognize that um, the level of junior engineers that we produce is different from the junior engineers that they're used to. Um, so, so that's what we're trying to bring to Japan. We're trying to bring like the the software levels that you would typically see in the valley. And and you said you meant you mentioned that you have people coming from all over the world, right? Yeah, that's w- the exciting is, thing. Yeah, what percentage of that roughly? Oh, I don't have that students. off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I do have a... Because, yeah. I mean, it seems like quite a commitment. I mean, it seems like a great program. I'm just like, wow. Like Now that I think about it, like, you can't really have a full-time job while you're doing yeah, this, Yeah, absolutely right? not. We, yeah, we don't let you into the course if you plan on keeping any kind of job. Okay, cause, so it's it's really yeah, hands-on, I mean, full-on. Yeah, it's Monday through Fridays, uh, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Students are always around doing work, you know? So I was, you know, I was in the office yesterday, which is a Saturday, and like half the class was there, right, working on stuff, working on their projects. Um, they usually stay late. Um, so it's, you know, and it's also like as an adult, when do you when do you have time to like spend three months honing a particular skill? That's right? true. That's a great point. And so we want people to respect that. Right. You've carved this time out. So respect that time that you've carved out for yourself and and don't ruin it for yourself. Yes. Um, it's a lot so, of money too. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's it's um hyaku sanman, so one point zero three million yen mm. right now. It's a little over uh, ten for grand. three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About, about ten grand. It's about it's yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's an investment grand. more exactly. than just Okay, so so the people all right, let's say the companies that send the people, of course they can afford to give them that time away. And so I guess the people that do it on their own, sort of like had your mindset when you decided to leave your job and and uh, invest all that money. You know, when, when you were in San Francisco and all this, that, and the other, I mean, 
are, are people like uh, the people you get? Let me see. How can I word this? Are they like, I don't want to use the word gung ho, but are they like confident that they made the right move to put this investment in? Or do you have people that are like, oh, God, I hope this works or, or something like that? And, well, and how do you? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, of course, like, you, especially when people first hear about us, there's always skepticism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, does this work? Are these, is it real? Is it one of those schools that take your take money? Take your money and, and Trump run University. Here. No, yeah. we don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we look for individuals who are going to be respectful of the sacrifice that they're making and also that others are making. We don't, that for the 12 week program, we don't take beginners. Um, and the reason being is we want people who have that drive and ambition, right? Uh, there's so many free materials online that, you know, we feel like people don't, People absolutely don't need to pay us to learn the basics because there's so much good stuff out there. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that. That's a good point. To learn the basics. We were discussing that so much. And we also want them to learn the basics first because there is right now this hype of like learning how to code. And we really don't want people who drop 10K, quit their, you know, job and take our class and then without knowing any code. And then like, you know, a weekend they're like, oh, I really don't like coding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We you want know, to avoid situations like that. that. Yeah. I had a of money. Yeah. yeah. Friend. Yeah. We really want to avoid situations like that. So um, you need to know, you need to explore on your own whether you like coding because yes. it's not for everyone. Yes. Mm. Not everyone needs to learn how to code. Um, it's fun for me, but it could be like the worst thing for someone else. Yeah. So in other words, you got a tough, is it like a, a an interview process yeah. to, and have you ever like turned people away? Yeah, we have a 20% acceptance rate actually. Whoa. Yeah, so it's not an easy program awesome. to get into, um, but we really want to see that, you know, drive in others. So, so to get in, um, uh, to submit your application, you actually need to be able to code. There's a little coding challenge. And unless you can solve that coding challenge, you can't submit your application. Um, and then after that, after you submit, uh, then uh, it's technical interviews. Um, so it could be one interview. It could be several. Uh, but basically, we um, assess uh, where someone's technical level is currently at. And then um, if there's a gap between where they need to be and where they're currently at, we give them homework, we give them advice on how to improve, and then we reschedule them for later on. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's not an easy program to get into. Um, it For most people, it takes them several tries to get in. Um, and we do turn people away permanently if we feel like their personality is not a good match. Mm. Um, if we feel like they are not going to get along in the course with other people. Um, and uh, also if we feel like their, their uh, just ambition and doubt is not there. Um, or they're, you know, they're doubt, too doubtful. Um, so, so those are definitely some of the factors that we look at, uh, because once you're in the class, I mean, it's 12 weeks where you're with, you know, eight other people, yes. right? Seven, eight other people. Our class Coming might be like larger. Somewhat soon. like family. Right? Yeah. And Seeing we really don't want, um, people who are going to cloud the experience for others, right? Cause other people have made that sacrifice too. So that sacrifice needs to be respected. Yes. Um, so we can't have people who don't take this class seriously, for instance, because if they miss a day that doesn't only impact them, it impacts the entire class, right? It impacts their partner that they're working on a particular assignment with, or it impacts their team. Just like work. It's, mm. This is just like yeah. work, right? Yeah. Um, so we really want people to be mindful of that. Oh, okay. So when people, not only are they making the financial investment slash, I don't want to say sacrifice, but investment, um, and also they have to pay for their own living expenses. Mm-hmm. And so that means that, yeah, yeah, they got to be pretty serious yeah yeah Yeah. it's an investment right yeah definitely um our our class uh when they graduate we have like a big demo day where the students get to um show off and present what they've done so i um i invite all of your listeners to our upcoming demo day 
When is that? Um, it is, I believe, March 27th. It's okay. going to be like the, it's it's a Thursday night always. Um, and we live stream it so you can see it no matter where you're at. Nice. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. You got to see all the cool projects that the students have built. For the students who do the, uh, what is it, the introductory, the introduction course? Yeah. What do you call that one? The, the five-week uh, intro course. Intro course, yeah. Yeah. Foundation. Uh, foundation, that's, what, that's the word I was yeah. looking for. So for the foundation course, once you're done with that, are those students usually ready for the 12? Is it? Is it? A, no. I'm not going to say so. It's not a shoe in. You're not it, like no, automatically. No, it's not. Yeah, no. And it's it's designed that way because we don't want people to just pay some extra money to be able to get in. Ah, so okay. the introductory course falls just short of entry requirements for the immersive. Uh, basically, they will have all the concepts that they need to know to get in, um, but it's practice. The difference is practice, and we want to see people really make an effort to practice the concepts to be able to get into the immersive. Smart. Yeah, that's a yeah, I like that. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah most yeah. definitely. So you ain't, you you don't have that that skill like they do in school. Like okay, uh, if you if you're a D student, you fail or anything like that. It, it, it's it's at the end when they meet all the require. I mean, how, is there a grading system or something? Or um, we do have an internal grading system um, that the instructors use uh, just to make sure we're we're keeping track of and keeping the metrics. We have a few metrics for the students actually mm. that we look at, um, not just how they're doing technically, but uh, we also talk about you know how they're doing socially, uh, how they're getting along with the class and things like that. Um, so we do, and we do have tests on occasion. Um, so we do have some of the traditional, you know, like school things. Um, but those aren't the only things that we look at, uh, because some people are like, I'm terrible with tests. Uh, and some people are just naturally bad. Um, so we look at a lot of different things. Um, it's, you know, the course is project based. So at the end of the day, we get to see, you know, what the project looks like and, and we know their process getting there. Um, so there's a lot of different things that we look at. Yeah. I think I have one last question. So, of course, you know, to be a programmer or coder, there's a lot you need to know and understand. What do you think is the single most important thing, factor in being a coder that makes you successful? Communication. Mm. Yeah. People okay. don't, a lot of people don't realize that when you're a software engineer, you're writing code not just for the computer, but also for other people other engineers, yes. right? And so what's interesting is, you know, we get a lot of English teachers that take the program and they realize that there's a lot of similarities to English teaching, right? If you, um, like syntax is really important. If you forget a dot or a curly bracket somewhere, yes. it's going to ruin your entire program. So that attention to detail is really important. And then also like the naming of um, just names really matter in coding. We call them variables. They're like little containers that we can place values in. Naming things is really important because you want to make sure that everything's organized and understandable. Um, and then also communication is really important because you're always working on a team and you need to be able to communicate with the product manager, for instance, or the business person and let them know why a suggestion that they have is maybe a little bit too difficult or um, provide them with alternative ways to do, you know, think of how to do something. Um, you need to communicate with the people on your team um, because if you're uh, struggling to finish something, you need to have um, kind of the confidence to raise your hand and say, I'm struggling and I need help. Um, yeah, you need to communicate with designers to know, you know, how is the user going to be able to use this? Mm. Um, all kinds of stuff. So it's really communication. communication. Yeah. Yeah, mm. super important. All right. Wow, that, awesome. was, that, was, that was a lot, but that was really yeah. informative. Yeah, very, very. I'm ready to sign up. <laughs> Are you ready to sign up? I ain't gonna lie to you, dog. <laughs> I can barely click a mouse. <laughs> no. Coding is not for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what kind of app I would develop. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for coming through. Thank you very much. Hey, thank, thank you. We you. really appreciate it. It was fun talking. Yeah. Yeah, last, yeah most definitely. Last thing, um, mm -hmm. give your oh, social yeah, yeah, media. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you guys can find Plugs, me on Twitter no. at Yanarchy. Y a n a r c h y. Yanarchy. Yanarchy, and you can um, learn more about Code Chrysalis at codechrysalis.io. That's spelled C O D E C H R Y S A L I S dot I O. All right, and how awesome. do you say goodbye in Arabic? Uh, uh, Masalama. All right, Masalama. Masalama in the house. See you later. Yes, Raw sir. Urban Mobile Podcast. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com. Or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.